0: A few weeks ago, I uh, discovered, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, today is a very special Sunday in Australia. National Christian Heritage Sunday. Some people have spent considerable time researching the foundations of Christian faith in this country, and I was little aware of it. I wonder whether you are too. I wonder whether you realise what God has done for this nation. Well, before I share that with you, I want to share with you about a young man who was uh, heading towards what he thought was playing cricket for Australia passionately in love with sport and all that it entailed, so much so that he paid no attention to his schoolwork and it ended up failing year 11. It was presented to the headmaster of the school who told him, well, my boy, you're going to have to repeat the year you've just done. The whole world dropped out from underneath me and um. My friends began to disappear, including a girlfriend that I had who I was quite close to, who rang me up and said, That's it. Abandoned. This young man got down by his bed and prayed. First prayer I ever really prayed. If there's a God, well, give me some friends. That was the first prayer I ever really prayed. And now I've got so many friends, I don't know what to do with them all. But my mother had been urging me to go to the youth group. I wasn't keen on God. I didn't have any place for him, really, except that prayer. But one night, the youth group came to my house because my brother was attending this youth group. And I sat in a beanbag in the lounge room. I thought, I'll just listen to these people and see what they're on about. Well, a young woman who had three little children shared something about parking her car at Safeways. I think there's a slide there, in Namiko. A young woman, maybe a bit younger than that, Anne, but she only had three children at the time. And it was Safeways Car Park. A Safeways car park in Bournemouth. She'd gone to park her car with her three children and as she was parking, someone pushed in front and took her car space away. She was so angry. This person didn't understand what it was like to take three kids shopping. She was about to open the window and yell something at him. And then she told us that Jesus helped her not to lose her temper and not to wind down her window and gave her the moment grace to to just be still and trust him, to look after her. And she found another car space, went into the supermarket, did her shopping. The kids were good, everything went well. She's putting her groceries in the boot of her car. And she remembers that she had prayed that God would give her something to share with these young people. And this was it. He helped her in the car park from losing her temper. Because if she'd lost her temper, the kids would have been like this. She would have been like this. The whole shopping trip would have been a disaster. And there's a young 16-year-old boy sitting in a beanbag going, God in the car park at Safeways? Is that right? I didn't tell anybody this. But I thought, if God is that real, if God can be in, in a car park at Safeways when you need him, if he can be in any circumstances to help you, I want to know about him. So this young man went every Sunday from that time on to a Bible study before church and to church and I used to end up going morning and evening to church. I wanted to find out, was this true? When I went to the Bible study, I heard a story about a man who who uh, was watching television every night for two hours. He was a pastor and and he had this thought i wonder what would happen if i sold my television and gave up that time and spent it in prayer to god and uh this man decided he would put his television on the market and he would he would give uh god one hour to sell the television if it was sold within an hour Yep, it was meant to be sold and he would give the time to prayer. And he's waiting there uh, with his clock watching as it ticks over to 58, 59 minutes. And his wife says to him, see, Davy, you don't have to do all that praying when the phone rings. Have you got an RCA, whatever it was? And how much do you want for it? Don't you want to look at it? How much do you want for it? He didn't even know how much to ask. $100, I'll take it. It was sold. David Wilkerson ended up spending two hours every night in prayer. I wonder if you've spent two hours in prayer. I wonder what would happen if you did spend two hours in prayer. David Wilkerson learned to spend a whole hour thanking God. He said it took some time to learn how to pray like this. But, oh, the blessing of it, in the end, was extraordinary. Anyway, he went on for months and months praying. And one, one night he's in his study... And he's looking around and suddenly he's attracted to a, a coffee table with a life, Time Life magazine on it. And he goes over, oh, no, 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 don't go there, you're getting distracted from prayer. And then he goes over again, no, 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 don't go there, you've been distracted from prayer. He, he can't help it but picks up this Time Life magazine, opens it up and sees these young men in New York City, gang kids who are going to to court to be, and he breaks down and begins to weep in of these boys. And God tells him to go and take the good news of Jesus to those boys. There's a car, There's a God who meets you in the car park at Safeways, my friend. There's a God who will meet you if you spend an hour in prayer or two hours in prayer. There is a God, a living God who has a plan for you. And he has a plan for this nation. An extraordinary plan for this nation. If you want to study carefully the heritage of the gospel coming to this country, you will be so inspired it will cause you to spend two hours in prayer. I want to tell you about another heritage. That was a bit of my heritage. But I want to tell you about your heritage of this country. You know, the first fleet in 1788 that came to this country. Before that... On October the 24th, 1787, Richard Johnson received a royal warrant appointing him chaplain to the settlement of New South Wales. Johnson owed his nomination to the Eclectic Society, a group of evangelical clergy and laymen interested, among other things, in missions and prison reform, With William Wilberforce, Henry Thornton and John Newton among its leaders, the society had a powerful force in English religious life. They were able to convince William Pitt, the Prime Minister of England. You know he became Prime Minister at 25 years old? 25 years old he was Prime Minister of England. They convinced Pitt to appoint a chaplain to the First Fleet. It was supported by the Parliament. He, He had a a a, a royal appointment. Well, Johnson received this. The feelings which I had, he writes, upon receiving this letter and of some time after are easier felt than described. For several nights and days, both my sleep and appetite were in great measure taken away. I did little else than weep and sigh whilst I trust both my fervent prayer and fasting. I implored divine direction what to do in an affair of so weighty a moment? On the one hand, the idea of leaving my parents, relations, friends and the respectful connections which I had formed, the dangers of the sea, the description of the people I was going with, the place to which we were going, to the very ends of the earth, to a country wild and uncultivated, to be exposed to savages and perhaps to various wild beasts of prey. Well, the only found kangaroos. It was Okay. These and such like ideas so impressed my mind with fear and terror that I sometimes was greatly inclined and almost resolved to decline the offer. You know, the things of God are weighty. They're not light. If you want to know God, it's something deep. But then on the other hand, when I considered the propriety, nay, the necessity of some person going out in this capacity, how the offer of the appointment was made to me, my situation at that time having no charge of my own, the hopes and prospects of being rendered useful in the reformation of those poor and abandoned people, the power and promises of God to protect me in any place or situation where in the line of duty. I followed the leading of providence and the prospects of a glorious reward hereafter, laid up in heaven for all God's faithful servants and people. These considerations overbalanced and removed all my scruples and fears and induced me to give my free consent to enter upon this hazardous expedition." Well, he went forward with his newly married wife. You know, he married this lady Ma- Mary five months before getting on the first fleet to travel to Australia. I think uh, uh, there's Richard Johnson, but the trip that he, he, he went on, <laughs> you know he virtually went round the world. They went down the west coast of Africa and then they went across to Brazil, to Rio de Janeiro. And then they came back across the Atlantic to Cape of Good Hope. And then from Cape of Good Hope they sailed to Australia or that great south land. Let me read some of his letters to you. This is his first. Had both been sickly, upon, but upon recovery we had before then one of two rough gales, after which it became calm. This occasioned the sea to run high. And on this account, when the wind ceased, the ship rolled very much, all of which together rendered it very unpleasant for some days. And then he writes about the captain behaving with civility. We have prayer every evening in the great cabin, he has granted me leave also to preach once at least on the Lord's day to the ship's crew accordingly last Sunday I preached to them my text was Matthew 534 designed to set forth the heinous evil of common swearing I wonder how that would go down today satisfied and pleased with my subject hope that I should repeat or follow this practice throughout the voyage since then I have scarcely heard an oath from any of them His preaching was pretty effective, wasn't it? Put a fear of God in the hearts of men. May God convince them of the folly and wickedness of such conduct. And then he ended this letter in May the 30th. We've wrote to the last, if I had found opportunity. In short, our love to all, if they inquire of us. I love the dear people of God at Portsmouth. Thank them for their favours. I still solicit their earnest prayers to God for me and mine. And then as he arrives across the oceans in this land he has never seen before. But God has been much better to us than, than we deserved. Unexpectedly, about the 19th of November... 1787 this is the wind changed into the westward and continued more or less fair for us for several weeks changing from north uh, 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 to the west around to the south but seldom there then to the eastward so that from the 19th of November to the 7th of January 1788 we generally had the wind favorable for us and in that space of time we traveled 6,000 miles across the Indian Ocean writes on arrival never fleet was more highly favoured this you will confess when I tell you that our whole passage was but little more than eight months eight months anyone going to London an eight months journey on a ship where you're likely to be uh, very seasick at different times but not only that listen to this ten weeks of which time we would drift Uh, Different ports, Tenerife, Rio de Janeiro and Cape of Good Hope. And out of the 14 or 1,500 persons, the greatest part were being confined and living upon salt provisions were not, as you may judge, very well accommodated. Not more than 30 died. Uh, We might think that was a tragedy. Except the second fleet that came to Australia... 250 died and upon arrival 150 more died 400 people died coming to this country they didn't have a chaplain they didn't have a man of prayer on board and the second fleet when it arrived in australia was so full of sick people hardly anyone would go on board except for one man And guess who it was? Richard Johnson ministered to dying people on board the ship of the second fleet with such care and devotion, witnessing to the love of God. But then he writes in his first few months being here in Australia, again to his friends, as to the country in general, I confess, I have no great opinion of it, nor expectation from it, The greatest part of it is poor and barren and rocky and requires a great deal of labour to clear the trees and roots and to cultivate it and after all the corn that has been sown hitherto looks very poor and unpromising. I think I can say none have given it a fairer trial than myself, have been at work in my little farm, burning wood, digging, sowing, but do not expect to reap anything nearly adequate for my labours. Others seem to be in the same predicament and almost, at least, but with few exceptions, are heartily sick of the expedition and wish themselves back safe in Old England. I hope I have said enough to dissuade you from ever emigrating to this part of the world. Have you got some trials in your workplace? Have you got some difficulties in your ministry here? Are you having some struggles with life in Australia? Nothing will compare with Richard Johnson. Why the pity and concern I feel for these poor people with whom I'm here connected? Happy would I be were I to live upon bread and water, severe hardship. Did I but see some of these poor souls begin to think about their latter end? I'm sorry to see so little good yet done amongst them. They neither see nor will be persuaded to seek the Lord of mercy and compassion of God. They prefer their lust before their souls. Yea, most of them will sell their soul for a glass of grog. So blind, so foolish, so hardened are they. Have things changed? I am yet obliged to be a field preacher. No church has yet begun and I'm afraid scarcely thought of. Other things seem to be of greater notice and concern. And most would rather see a tavern, a playhouse, a brothel, anything sooner than a place of public worship. Do we think the world at the present time is in a hard space? That people are disinterested in God? Well, I've got a church full of people here today. I'm doing much better than Richard Johnson. And then Johnson in his compassion and in his love for the people here of this colony, unable to reach them as he desired, wrote a treatise, entreating them with the gospel, and I have printed 50 copies of this, I encourage you to take this home with you, one per family. You read Richard Johnson, it will stir your heart. You'll begin to get a vision of what this man felt for the salvation of souls for bringing people out of darkness into light, to see the glory of God and have an eternal future with Jesus in the heavenly places. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice would be Richard Johnson's plea. Well, he writes, I'll read a short portion to entice you into this. His preface says, I have therefore thought it might be proper for me and I hope it may prove useful to you to write such an address as I now present with you with. A tran- I transmitted a copy of it to my friends in England with a request that if they approved of it, a sufficient number might be printed and sent to me. Thus I am now able to leave with you a testimony of my affection for you, of my sincere and heartfelt concern for your best and eternal welfare. My times are in the hand of God. He and he only knows how long I may live or how long my present connection with you may continue. I trust, however, that so long as all the wise disposer of all events shall be pleased to spare my life and strength and government shall deem my service in this remote land necessary, it will, be, it will still be, as it has hitherto been, my most ardent desire, my uniform endeavour and my greatest pleasure to promote your happiness. And when recalled to my native country or removed by my God, to my eternal home, to receive that crown of righteousness, which I humbly trust is laid up for me by reading and carefully perusing the following pages. I hope you will be convinced and reminded how sincerely you were pitied and how dearly beloved by Richard Johnson. Let remind you that Richard Johnson was very familiar with death. In the first three years, he buried 854 people. That's not bad for a minister. 854 funerals in three years. Works out about one a day. He knew about death. He knew about the reality of life in this world. That's why he was passionate about the gospel of Jesus. He writes, Oh, I entreat you, brethren, to consider what is contained in these two words, salvation and damnation. The one implies everything that an immortal soul can want or desire to make it happy. The other includes an idea, the most gloomy and dreadful that can be conceived. The former will be the admiration of angels and the song and the joy of the redeemed. The latter will be the torment of devils and of all impenitent sinners forever and ever. This man had a vision of eternal things. Mark Wilson John his representation of the solemn transaction I saw the dead he's quoting from Revelation 20 I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of the th- those things which were written in the books according to their works such are the declarations of scripture respecting this awful season sinners "'Whatever you may now think of these things "'or think or say of me for declaring them to you "'in this plain and solemn manner, "'I must and will tell you "'that there is not a profane oath which you have uttered, "'not a lie which you have told, not a, "'nor a Sabbath which you have broken, "'nor a single act of adultery, fornication, theft, "'or any wickedness of which you have been guilty. "'In a word, there is, there is not an evil you have committed, "'nor a duty you have omitted to perform.' but what is noted down in the book of God's remembrance and will be produced against you in the day of judgment unless you repent and believe the gospel. You must then give an account of how you improved the advantages now afforded you for attending to the things pertaining to your peace. If you do not improve them, the Bible will condemn you. I think... Uh, Jyoti, you were talking about positional sanctification, progressive sanctification, perfection sanctification. This is the outworking of God in our lives as we respond to him in obedience and faith. If you do not improve them, the Bible will condemn you. Every faithful sermon you have heard will condemn you. Nay, every sermon which you might have heard but would not because you despise and neglected the ordinance of public worship will condemn you. And alas, this address by which I try to warn you because I love you and wish well to your souls, which you are now reading or perhaps about to throw aside with scorn, will then condemn you. The admonitions, entreaties, prayers and tears of godly parents, the advice and reproofs of pious friends, the warning and expostulations of faithful ministers will all witness against you. My brethren, what shall I say? The law of God, the gospel, saints, sinners, angels, your consciences, the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, the great judge himself, will all witness against you for your contempt and neglect of that mercy and salvation which is set before you in the gospel. Then all ungodly, impenitent sinners being tried, cast and condemned must hear that final terrible sentence pronounced upon them, depart ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And remember that those who have been your associates in wickedness here will then be your companions in misery. This will, if possible, aggravate your torment. You and they will rue the day when you first met and mutually charge the ruin of your souls upon each other. Oh, think of this and pray for grace to repent before it is too late. You know, Israel Folau said this, didn't he? What happened to him? But he had the concern of the souls of men. Every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us. At that solemn season, he goes on, the righteous shall be publicly and fully acquitted before the assembled world. The judge will say to them, come ye blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The holy angels will then conduct them to the mansions of eternal bliss. Happy souls. They will then have no more cause to weep and mourn, to fight and wrestle. They will no more be exercised with darkness or temptation For sin, which is the cause of all their conflicts and sorrows, shall be done away. And God, their gracious Father and everlasting friend, shall wipe all tears from their eyes. Like Murray. Like each one of us who truly puts our trust in the Lord Jesus. There is an eternal future of blessing for those who have trusted in jesus christ the righteous however obscured and reproached upon earth shall then shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their father they are represented to us as standing before the throne clothed in white robes with palm branches emblems of victory in their hands and singing to their harps their redeemer's praise there they will join in company with abraham isaac and jacob and the apostles prophets and martyrs with their dear friends and relatives who died in the faith before them and with the glorious angels and above all, they will enjoy the unclouded presence of their Lord and Saviour who once suffered pain and and shame and death for them. They will see him seated upon a throne of glory and unite with all the heavenly host in ascribing salvation, glory and honour and praise to him who loved them and washed them from their sins in his own blood and has made them kings and priests to God and to the Lamb forever and ever. Permit me then, as your minister, your friend, and as a well-wisher of your souls, to press these serious and weighty considerations home upon your consciences once more. I hope and believe that I have asserted nothing but what has been proved by the highest authority, the word of the living God. They certainly deserve your closest and most careful attention since it is plain beyond a doubt that upon your knowledge or ignorance, your acceptance or rejection of this gospel, your everlasting happiness or misery must depend. You know, Richard Johnson had such a passion for the truth of God's word. He was willing to be despised and rejected. He had the most fierce opposition. Governor Philip, who started well with him, wanted him to preach morality, not salvation. And then the end turned vehemently against him. The next governor, Groves, was so hostile against Johnson, Johnson built a church. I think it's there on the, in 18, no, 1793. He built a church. Six years it was burnt down. Just imagine, we built this, someone came and burned it down. Johnson so appealed to his readers to repent of their sins and turn to God to find mercy, forgiveness and eternal salvation for their souls. He ends his entreaty with this. This will be my daily prayer to God for you. I shall pray for your eternal salvation, for your present welfare, for the preservation, peace and prosperity of this colony and especially for the more abundant and manifest success of the Redeemer's cause and kingdom and for the effusion and outpouring of his Holy Spirit not only here, but in every part of the habitable globe, longing, hoping, and waiting for the dawn of that happy day when the heathen shall be given to the Lord Jesus for his inheritance and the outermost parts of the earth for his possession, and when all the ends of the earth shall see, believe, and rejoice in the salvation of God. I am your affectionate friend and servant in the gospel of Christ, Richard Johnson. Friends, this is the man God planted in this country how many churches were built in this country after this man's faithful ministry at the first worship service Richard Johnson chose Psalm 116 and verse 12 and 13 what shall I render to the Lord for all his goodness to me goodness to him hardships he faced what did lamb say rejoice in the lord always for all his goodness to me what goodness is he speaking of I will lift up the cup of salvation I will remember Jesus and what he has done for me on the cross I will remember that he saved my soul from eternal damnation from the judgment that is coming, as John the Baptist said, who who warned you to flee from the judgment that is to come? There is a judgment. Friends, there is a judgment. What Richard Johnson preached is absolutely true. It's what the Bible teaches us. And he prayed earnestly. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice. That's the first verse of this beautiful psalm. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Johnson was a man of prayer. Like David Wilkerson. I don't know if you ever saw the testimony of Bill Rosas. You want to look it up on the online uh, capacities that we have. Bill Rosas. Forty stories. An indigenous man who challenges us all to get on our knees and pray. He says, "The Peters, the James, the Johns—they're here now. The Richard Johnsons. If God can use one man to turn a nation to the Lord Jesus, which He did, what did uh, what did Newton write to Johnson?" in your service sheet I have not disheartened I'm not disheartened by your apparent want of success this is Newton writing to Johnson after Johnson has written to him I've been told that skillful gardeners will undertake to sow and raise a salad for dinner in the short time which the meat is is roasting but no gardener can raise oaks with such expedition you are sent to New Holland not to sow salad seeds I love that Let's be honest as Christians, are we as churches sowing salad seeds, sweet comforts for this life, or eternal salvation to the souls of men? You're sent to plant acorns and your labour will not be lost. Though the first appearances may be very small and the progress very slow, you are, I trust, planting the next century. I have a good hope that your oaks will one day spring up and flourish and produce other acorns which in due time will take root and spread among the islands and nations in the Southern Ocean. Friends, this country has seen the most amazing release of the gospel of Jesus Christ across the world. The foundation in 1901 of the Federation of the States of Australia was begun with a preface to the Constitution, seeking the blessing of Almighty God. Namiko, can you put up a, a deacon's prayer? Alfred Deacon, the first Attorney General of this country, a Christian statesman, He was the first attorney general and as such founder of the High Court of Australia. He served three times as prime minister when a considerable amount of the Commonwealth initial legislation was commenced. As prime minister, he founded the arbitration court, the Australian Navy, as well as choosing Canberra as the nation's capital. Uh, uh, Alfred Deacon prayed this in 1884 before the the federation of, of the country. Listen to this. Oh God, teach me to pray. Give me the impulse to prayer, give me the sense of thy nearness, give me that insight into thy nature, which will quicken me to faith. Give me the feeling of absolute isolation from the world and from my lower self, that I may realise and reap the fruits of communion with thee. O God, I approach thee in spirit and in truth with but dim knowledge and indefinite expectation and confess doubt, but with a longing for thy inspiration, with a craving trust in thy will and power to help thy creatures, and with a frequent, though faltering reliance on my own intuitions, O oh God, teach me to pray. The first Attorney General of this country, the acorn sowed by Richard Johnson. And what about the Christian influence that spread in this land? You know, I found in the 1950s in the New South Wales Department of Education. Can you show that, Namiko? Just keep going. This is a reader for young children in primary schools of the nation, not of Christian schools. What does it say? Jesus and the children, they brought young children to Jesus, that he should touch them and his disciples, rebuke those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said to them, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for if such is the kingdom of God. He took them up in his arms, put his arms, hands upon them and blessed them. This was produced by the Department of Education in the 1950s. And what about missions to the world we have seen from this nation people go out in every corner of the earth with the gospel of jesus christ we have prayed for them here reese and ronda <laughs> but many many others we know about the solomon islands and the wonderful work of the spirit through through people who love jesus and gave up everything to share the good news of the gospel and you know amazingly in this country under the prime ministership of John Howard, heralding Christ Jesus' blessings, which was closing down its, its operation in Ecuador, needed to find a new home for transmitting the gospel into the world. Which country gave them approval to establish a transmission station at Cananara, which reaches over a third of the world's population with the gospel? Which country? This country. And what about, as Jim referred to, in the last twenty years, the vision of Aboriginal people at Harts Bluff in the centre of this country, who lovely old Ken Duncan, isn't he a lovely fellow? Ken Duncan, taking those beautiful photographs out there in the country, comes across this community of indigenous people with a vision to put a cross on top of a mountain. He feels so inspired by it, he wants to help them. He sets up a foundation called Walker While. And they raised the funds. And only just, what, uh, over 12 months ago, we saw this amazing construction. I think it's there, Namiko. You can go over the, through all the slides from the construction. There, This magnificent cross in the centre of our nation, raised by indigenous people. There they are, beginning the construction. And as they go through it, up on the mountain, and even as they raised the beautiful story of the engineer who talks about raising the two crossbeams and the way the wind changed direction at the time they were doing it, so the wind kept the beam from hitting against the upright. It's absolutely God in this country. Have you got a vision for what God is wanting to do in our country? Are we so caught up in the world We're not like Richard Johnson. He left everything, everything, friends. And gave himself 100% to serve Jesus. And he sowed acorns. And they produced an incredible harvest. Now, I was thinking as I was reflecting on this Sunday... When Anne is coming, shared her little story about parking her car at Safeways. Will you share about your times with Jesus, with other people out there? Will you tell them about the one who helped you overcome sin, forgave you and cleansed you and walks with you? Will you tell them about the consequences of rejecting him? how many Richard Johnsons does God need to change a nation? Only one. Will it be you? Will you be the Richard Johnson? You see, the Lord tells us in his word, if my people who are called by my name that's us that's us who bear his name will humble themselves and pray and not just a short prayer i remember someone coming to preach i was on holiday this is years ago here i invited a man who was a minister in the church he told the congregation a short prayer is a good prayer i never have him back again never had him back again if you want to break through to god you have to lay yourself before him you have to give yourself to him if my people who call by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face seek his presence like alfred deacon that beautiful prayer look it up online alfred deacon's prayer and turn from their wicked ways, just yes, our wicked ways. We don't even know how compromised we are with this world until God shows us. But when He does, He doesn't condemn you. Have a talk to Neville Langford back there. When the Holy Spirit comes, does He condemn you? He never condemns you, He convicts you. Neville was weeping for three hours. But the fruit of it was in a release of love of great measure. He will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Can you see that for this country? It's not the prime minister who's going to do it. Oh, we pray that he would turn to Jesus but God will use humble servants like Richard Johnson to sow acorns in the hearts of men and women that will grow up to be trees. God says, my eyes will be open, my ears will be attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Well, today we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. What a good day to be doing it. And we can do like Richard Johnson did. We can say, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon God to do what he purposes to do for this country. Why has he got HCJB with its station there at Kananara? Why has he lifted up a cross in the centre of our country? Why is he stirring in the hearts of those who love him to give themselves afresh to him with devotion and prayer for God purposes to do a great thing which he has promised to do for this country to pour out his Holy Spirit upon this land? Can you capture the vision? Like Richard Johnson. Let's pray.